Merciful. Unfortunately, they won't be later. <laughs> Sorry about that. I thought we practiced it different. My bad. It's okay. It's okay. All right. You on this side or that side? Yeah, I know where you want to be. There's a covenant sweet. It was written for me. It's a promise that I could.
to champion my cause. I've been justified, satisfied, oh I have it all, so I rest my case at the cross. Don't feel sorry for me when you see I'm in need. There's a judge who grants mercy and love. All my burdens he lifts. All my sin he forgives. Every trial is won through the blood. So I rest my case at the cross. For now I have someone to champion my cause. I've been justified, satisfied. Oh, I have it all. So I rest my case at the cross. I've been justified, satisfied. Oh, I have it all. So I rest my case at the cross. Well, we have been honored, of course, to have with us uh, Brother Ricky Moon, of course, Shawnee Baptist Church, and uh, no, yeah, it is Shawnee Baptist Church, and it was Shawnee Baptist College, and all of that. I sometimes get all these, they got a camp, they got a college they got running still, and they've got uh, just their church ministries, and boy, all those different names sometimes get me confused a little bit, but we're certainly glad that he could be with us these last few days, and again, if you've been here any of those nights, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Sunday night even, you know we've had a great time around the Word of God. Last night was one of the, uh, a very, very powerful message. He dealt with bitterness last night, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, uh, a lot of our hearts were touched, and uh, truly, God working in a mighty way. Tonight, I'm excited as he comes once again. Of course, this being his last night, eh, we're kind of sad about that. But then also we're happy for him. He gets to go somewhere else and make a difference. And we'll be blessed as for having heard and received what he's given according to the Word of God. Well, listen, let's go ahead and get things started. Let's sit up in our seats. Let's make sure we're listening. And let's just let the Lord speak to our hearts tonight. Amen. Come on up, Brother Moon. Preach for us, would you? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, it's great to be here. Let me just make two or three. St- uh, by the way, I got a watch with me tonight. Uh, it's Brad's, and uh, I put it on my arm, and he said, "Hey, don't uh, don't try to leave my watch." So I took it off. I got thinking, who knows? I might take off with it. But it does. I'll I'll say this though: when I put it on, I noticed I'd I'd seen it on his arm, and then I saw it on my arm. It, it looked much better on my arm than his. <laughs> but I just I don't. I'm just saying. All right. Anyway, but I want to thank you again for the opportunity to be here. Pastor, thank you for allowing me the privilege to stand behind your pulpit. I don't take lightly that responsibility. Uh, I've been in the ministry long enough to know that uh, skies coming from the outside can do a lot of damage if you're not careful. And, uh, boy, I try to be very sensitive to that, make sure I don't say anything that you would not want said uh, behind your pulpit. And then um, uh, I want to just thank you for the privilege of being here and having you folks show up and be a part. Uh, thank you so much. The crowd has been great every night. Music's been wonderful. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, 
the accommodations were tremendous, uh, and uh, the staff, Brad and the rest of them, they've taken care of me like I was a royalty. I'm not, but they've taken care of me like I was, and is, and ams, and all those words. But uh, I appreciate it so much. It's a blessing, and it's a joy to be here. It's a joy to see Brad here in the ministry. Um, I, I, I really, the reason Brad's what he is is because number one, his parents, and number two, his youth pastor, Ricky Brown. But the good part is I got to put a little bit in it. All right? I didn't do much, but I got to do a little bit, so at least I get to see the results of that. And, and Josh, too. And uh, I tried to put some stuff in Josh, but it just ran right out. One, one, one in one ear and out the other, and so I'm still working. No, I'm teasing. It's great to see him, all he's doing. Man, it's great to see these young men with talent, all these young people here. Uh, I told preacher today, um, y'all have a, uh, a rare church. And I don't mean that because you're weird, all right? <laughs> Even though there's a few like Rick that are. I mean, most of them are normal, all right? Most of you are normal people. But uh, just Keith, Rick, a couple more. Uh, but, uh, but most of you are normal people. And I'll tell you what you have. You have a spirit about you. Number one, you have a spirit of obedience to the teach, preaching of the Word of God. Uh, then you have a spirit. Uh, I'm a guy that likes to watch the crowd. I'll go to a restaurant, and sometimes I get carried away watching other people, what they do. And she'll go, Rick, hey, Ricky, focus. We're here together. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I, I forgot that for a minute. Or the TV, she'll go, okay, let's sit. She'll on purpose sit where I can't see the TV because I, 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 like, I like to watch people and see what they're doing. They intrigue me. Uh, and, uh, any, but anyway, whatever. Uh, I've watched. I watch when the choir sings. I watch when you sing. I watch when I'm preaching, how you respond. And such a spirit, a sweet spirit. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And there's something mighty sweet about the Lord, but there's also a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. In fact, let's do this. Hey, do you know that song? Uh, Josh, do you know it? There, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. You know it? Do you know it? Who knows it? Preacher, come on up. Lead us in that, in that little course. And you just remain seated and let him lead us in that course. I just, for some reason, I just want it. That's all right. Just go ahead. Do you, do you have it, Tim? Do you know it? Okay, go ahead and play it, and I'll do the best I can. They'll do the best they can. <clears throat> There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the There's a sweet impression on each face, and I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly with us filling us with thy love and for each blessing we lift our hearts in praise we know some of you know it I know the first two lines I'm sorry brother I didn't realize it was that long if there was a sweet spirit, it's dead now. No, it's 
Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. No, that was good. There's a sweet spirit in this place. And by the way, that's rare. It just is. I've had the opportunity to preach in a lot of different churches, especially when I was on tour. Uh, and uh, a lot of Christian schools and a lot of, uh, and several colleges and also um, in a lot of uh, churches. And uh, sometimes it's how quick can we get out the door. And we get, I go over, way over here, what I should be preaching. And then the folks, one or two people have to scurry out because they got to go to work or something. But then folks hang around and hang around and hang around. And then after the other folks leave, they hang around and hang An hour after we're done, we're, there's still, we're, I'm leaving. There's still folks all over the place. They're just hanging around. And there's such a sweet spirit here and people that love the Lord. And, and you know, that's, uh, that, that's something that you don't want to lose. You don't want to lose that spirit. Uh, boy, it's a spirit that makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much for the privilege and honor of being here and and I won't get to tell you that at the end of the message, and so I want to make sure I shared that with you if I could at the beginning of the message this evening. If you have your Bibles, please, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, and I will try to hurry along. I probably won't, but I'll try anyway. They say if at first you don't succeed, keep on trying, so I'll keep on trying. It's always tough when we was on tour. They'd say, okay, we normally get out at. And, and in chapels, you had to get out at that time. Sometimes they'd say, well, hey, take as much time as you want. And she'd go, Ricky, not how much time you want. Still remember, they, just, they said that out of a courtesy to you. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really mean as long as you will take. And I said, okay, I'll shorten it. But you won't believe this, but I've preached sermons that didn't last but seven minutes before. I preached sermons that didn't last but 15 minutes and 20 minutes lots of times on tour, a lot of times. And uh, so not, don't count on, don't bank on that tonight. In fact, if you <laughs> add all those together, it won't be enough. But anyway, <laughs> but God sure has been good, and I'm sure thankful for his goodness. Would you stand with me, please, out of honor and respect of God's word? If you're physically able, if you're not, please remain in your seat. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed, verse 1, compassed about, with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame that set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not, stri- you have not resisted in the blood, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But as you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteous unto them and their which are exercised thereby, and let's bow our heads and ask God to meet with us. Holy Spirit, I do pray for your presence to be here tonight. 
And I pray for you to bless in a special way. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And Father, I pray that tonight we'll take and yield ourselves to you and may the Holy Spirit have full reign and control in my life and in the life of the people here tonight. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. I yield my tongue. Set a watchful mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. That I'll only say the things that you want said in the way you want them said. And Holy Spirit, have your way, please. Have your way in the invitation time. Lord, if there's somebody here that's not saved tonight, oh, please, may the night be the night they get born again. God, I was just thinking about the, the gentleman that got saved this week and bowed his head and said yes to you and realized he never had to worry about going to hell again. He's on his way to heaven. What a joy that is. What a joy it is to lead folks to you. Now, Father, I pray you'd help anyone that's here tonight, anybody. If there's anybody here that's not saved, may they be come to Christ tonight and get born again. And, Lord, for those of us who may have a weary heart or weary soul, may the burden be lifted tonight. May we be closer to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I uh, mentioned to you on Monday night that I uh, would have three reasons why I believe in my opinion, and there are scriptural reasons why people uh, burn out, quit, turn aside, stop, leave the churches. And a lot of times they leave the church, they don't leave and go to another church, they just leave the church and just quit church. Now in our mind's eye, we can stop back and we can think and we can see the faces of people that five years ago used to sit in this church. They were faithful. They may have even worked on a bus route, worked in Sunday school, worked in some ministry. And today, they're not only not here, they're not in any church. And if we backed up 10 years, we could, we could probably find a horde of them, I mean a lot of them, who are no longer even involved anywhere. And if we went back far enough in our minds of our friends and neighbors and, and fellow church fellow churches and sister churches and so on. We could think of preachers in the last 10 years who are no longer in the ministry, who are in the ministry, and, uh, and who are no longer serving God, and staff members who quit. I can think of them. People that was at Shawnee that were staff members who no longer even go to church anywhere. Or if they do, it's very rare. And they were staff members at Shawnee at one time. Loved the Lord, worked in our ministries, uh, taught Sunday school classes, etc., etc., so something happened somewhere along the trail. Something happened that detoured them. Something happened that took them off the, off the track, so to speak. I believe one of them is worldliness. We talked about it Monday night. And it sure is devastating a lot of them. Then sometimes people just get wounded, hurt. That wound turns into bitterness, as I talked about last night. And they get so bitter that they just get angry and bitter and quit they hate everything, hate God, hate everything in the world. Sometimes it goes that far. But there's another one. I want you to take your Bible, and I'm going to look at two verses here, and I'll come back. I'm going to stay in this chapter we're in, but look at one verse in this that we read, and then I want you to go and turn, if you would, please, to the book of uh, Galatians chapter 6, okay? Galatians chapter 6. Look, first of all, if you've got Galatians chapter 6, look at, look at this verse, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, the honest truth is, 
I have an outline here that I could give you, and I'm not going to tonight. Well, I'm going to give you a little. I'm not going to preach it, but I'm going to say this. Number one, I see this in the first part of that verse. He's talking about spiritual restoration, someone who's fallen. Do you know that word restore is a medical term? It's like to set a broken bone. Restore such one. It's like setting a broken bone. Somebody's broken. We're trying to help put them back together. Do you know that if you do that long enough, sometimes you get weird of helping people because they go back out and get broken again, and they go back out and get broken again. And if you're not careful when you're investing your life in people, you know what you do? You get weary of helping those people over and over and over again. And some of the people you help the most are the ones that will stab you in the back later on. And as a ministry, in the ministry, and as a Sunday school teacher, as a person, a member of the church, you can help people and try to restore them. And we're commanded to. We're commanded to restore them. He says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, I shall also be tempted. And he says, bear you one another's burdens. He gives that, that thing of the importance of restoring them and helping them bear their burdens. And then he says this. We have a responsibility, and not just the restoration and the restoring, but the responsibility we have. We have a personal one to, to take, help them with their load and to carry their load for them. We have the responsibility uh, to, verse 6, to the preacher, let them that's taught in the Word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. And we have the responsibility in principle, uh, that is, uh, be not deceived, God's not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit, shall the Spirit uh, reap life everlasting. So we know that there's... There's a responsibility we have. And with our responsibilities and our, with our uh, trying to restore folks and trying to help folks and trying to be a blessing to folks. I mean, guys can work on a bus route and sometimes you just get so weary of working on the bus route because you pour your life into it, you pour money into it, and then some of these kids act like, you know, well, what are we having Sunday? I don't know if I'm coming or not. So what, what's it matter? Either you're coming or you're not. And so if you're not careful... You can go out and get excited and get stirred and do all you can and, and try to stir the kids up and, and get them here and love them and care for them and then have the parents mad at you because you, you kept them uh, 10 minutes too long. We had somewhere to go and you kept them too long. What were you doing? We was having an Easter egg hunt for them. So we bought the Easter eggs or we, made, we boiled them and colored them. I don't know what kind of Easter eggs. I don't do that anymore. We just used plastic ones and put money in them, candy and stuff like that. But you can do it. And you, you know what, you, you get weary of people telling you, and look, it, it's not getting weary of doing wicked. You can get weary of doing good. In fact, now take your Bible and turn back to our text. Look at verse number uh, 3. For consider me endured such contradictions of sinners against self, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. And so it's not just this thing of doing something bad. It can be something you're doing good. In fact, he says this, Be not weary in well-doing over in Galatians. Be not weary in well-doing. Not weary in bad doing. Weary in well-doing. You're doing what's right. You're doing the things that are good. And a church that's active and highly involved like this church is, sometimes you can get weary of being weary. And I remember Brother Howells years ago preached, uh, talked about that. He said, I don't know if he preached on it, but I remember this thought came out. Don't be weary. Don't get weary of being weary. Because if you go put in a hard day and work all day on a building somewhere, brother, and then you get on with that and you run home and uh, uh, change clothes and grab a bite to eat as you're running out the door and then come over and stay and then that preacher goes on for a decade. He doesn't know when to stop. And then you go home and you're exhausted and you go to bed and you do that three or four days in a row and it's like, man, I'm tired. 
tired. I'm just tired of going to church. I'm, I'm just tired. I want to go and I know, but I'm just, we get weary of being weary. But now here's what happens when you get weary. Look at, look at our text and look at, go back to that text there in the book of Galatians, I mean Hebrews chapter 12. Look at that verse again with me. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied in, and faint in your mind. Lest you get so weary, you faint. And by the way, it starts in the mind. It starts right here. What you think. What you think determines how you feel. How you feel determines what you do. Your thoughts. As a man thinks his heart, so is it. Your thoughts determines your, your uh, feelings. Your feelings determines your actions. That's why when they put on TV and they get a little kid, that, and when they're trying to raise money, they show a handicapped child and say, Would you please help? If for $1 a day you can feed this child for the rest of his life or whatever, you know. And well, they, they, don't, they don't get up there and show some kid that's running around bouncing all over the place and hanging, uh, uh, you know, doing it, or some kid that's doing something wicked. They show a poor little kid that's got major malfunctions in his life. He's handicapped. Why? Because your eyes make you start thinking. What you think is determined what you hear and what you see. And when you start thinking about it, it touches your heartstrings. When it touches your heartstrings, it pulls your purse strings. That's how they get you. Now follow me. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Not, and in no way am I saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's the way it works. Life works. Well, he says in the Word of God here, the writer of Hebrews, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, he says, Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And over in the other passage, he said this. He said, And let us not be weary and well done for a new season we shall reap, if we faint not. A lot of folks have fainted. And here's the, here's the thought tonight. The third area I see where people are hurting is an area of getting weary. They just get weary. They just get tired. Can I use this term? They burn out. They just burn out. A busy church, they just get burned out. I don't think you ought to get burned out. I'm going to tell you why tonight. Go back to our text. Verse, go back to chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, sin will compass about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He says, let us lay aside, though ever wait, and the sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Sometimes you get weary in the race. Tonight I want to say this. Stay, and here's the title, stay in the race. Stay in the race. Stay in the race. We're all running a race for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get weary in your mind. Start thinking about how hard it is. And it may be for things that's good. I don't mean weary of doing wicked. You ought to get weary of doing wicked and quit doing it and get right. But weary of doing well. And we get it in our mind. We begin to realize how tar- hard it is and how tired we are, how much we're doing. And we look around and other people are not doing as much as we're doing. And they're not as tired as we are. And we say, you know what? I'm just tired in the race. I just want to quit. I just want to sit back and let somebody else do it. And don't think there's not people in this room... Everybody in this room, if you've been involved heavily, has thought about quitting the race, including me. 
more times than one. In fact, I heard somebody say, I've, as a preacher, I've only thought about quitting the ministry every Monday morning. Okay? Now, I haven't done that, but some people have. But I'll tell you this, brother, when the load got heavy and I got weary and I got weary and well-doing, there's been times I thought, you know what? Sometimes I'd like to just move somewhere where there's nobody, nobody to bother me, nobody to give me a hard time, nobody to do it, and just go off somewhere where uh, water falls, is, the water's coming down, and I can see the water falls, and there's deer out there in the field, and I just sit down and do nothing. There's only one problem with that. That's not my personality. It's just not. I can't just sit. We've got to do something. Even if I have to create something to do. Do you hear me? I've wanted to quit the race. But in this passage, he gives us three motivations. Three motivations to keep us in the race. He says, hey, but by the way, and when you're talking about that race, we're not, you don't go out there. He starts out by saying, if you're even going to be in the race, first of all, lay aside every weight. Now, weight is not something that's wrong. It's something that holds you back. And I'm not going to preach on that tonight. Even though I would not go to run a race, if I was running a 100-meter race in the Olympics, none of those racers would show up with Army fatigue zone, with combat boots, and a full fill pack on their back. None of them will. None of them will. None of them will. Why? Because they already lost before they start. They're out of the race before it ever starts. Because that weight will cause them to never be able to finish anywhere near the front of the pack. So they're not going to win a race. And the problem with a lot of Christians, they're in the race, but they got a whole lot of weights on them. And the reason why they're struggling is they got so many weights on them, it's hard to run in the race because of the weights. May I say tonight, you need to examine yourself and see if some things that are causing you not to be able to run in the race or not to be effective in the race are weights that's in your life that are holding you back. Not things that are wrong, but things that are keeping you from doing what's right and what you ought to do, what you know you need to do, maybe what you told God you would do. And there's folks that's got weights in their life. They're weighted down. They're weighted down. They're weighted down. And they can't run. And when they do, they never get anywhere near finish. And so they get discouraged and despondent because the weights are holding them back. So he says, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Lay aside every weight. Then he says, the sin was so he's beset us. I believe you probably got a besetting sin. And some of us, the reason why we struggle with running the race is because we have a sin that we keep going back to. A sin that we keep going back to. And what we need to do is figure out what that besetting sin is because it's going to beset us and keep us from ever, maybe even from ever getting in the race, let alone running the race or finishing the race. And God wants you in the race. He said, now let me, let me read it again just so you get it, all right? He says, let us run with patience the race that's set before us. So Jesus wants us in the race. Lay aside the weights. Lay aside the besetting sins. So you can get in the race and be a competitor. I want to compete. I want to win. I want to win. I've never gone so and said, I hope we don't have anybody saved today. I just got to put in my time so I can uh, put a notch on my belt and say I win. I'd just soon stay at home, sleep. Sounds more better to me. What a waste of time. No, I want to win somebody. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you this. The other day, and I thought this guy was unsaved, and I was all pumped. I said, I'm going to get him saved. <laughs> Man, he's going to get saved. 
And he got down to it and he said, yeah, I've already done it. I got, I've already been saved. And I thought, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> then I thought, you idiot. That's good that he's already saved. <laughs> but that meant I didn't need anybody saved. I didn't have anybody saved. <laughs> Aren't we selfish? I just want somebody to get saved. Amen. Yeah. Brad gets saved again. <laughs> he's already done it five times. He might stick this time. But seriously, I'm just joking. It's only been four times. Um, but truthfully, hey, I mean, I want to, if I'm going to go, I want to get somebody saved or at least give the gospel out and do my best to get somebody saved. Yeah, I, I never, I coached basketball for umpteen years and, uh, in high school and then we, I did the college team. There was only a few times I knew we weren't going to win in the college game. And that's when we played somebody like Spalding or one of those. I knew that was going to get a licking and a ticking and a whatever and a kicking. Right? And our guys hated playing that game. They said, we don't even have a chance to win. I said, yeah, you're right. But anyway, <laughs> we're doing this one for character, brother. We was playing at Spalding one night. Of course, our, we are a small Christian school, and they're a, a, a college, Division three college. Or two, I forgot which it is. <laughs> we started the game off. And there was hardly any, they're out of their place. They only have, they have, we got a more seating than they do, and they're a college. Uh, regular secular college. And on the top, they're sitting. They got one little st- set of pews, a lot of pews, a set of bench um, bleachers on one side here and one side here, and then up on the top. There was a lady up on top, and we were down, I think it was 20 to nothing. We're in trouble when you're down 20 to nothing. And she goes, Come on, just score a basket. And I looked at her and said, Amen, sister. I'd like for us to score one, too. And we scored right after that. It was 22 to 2. Anyway, <laughs> and we did kind of after that. They ended up beating us about 35, 40. And we started, finally started playing. We just was intimidated at first and couldn't hit. At night, I don't like to lose. You compete to win. Now, I've learned how to be a good loser, I think. Somewhat. Sort of. Look, I've been a Tennessee fan for years. I've learned how to be a loser. <laughs> These last several years in football, I've learned how to be a loser. Oh, bless my heart. It has been tough. They used to win all the time and won national championship. And then, anyway, we were just excited last year. We were at 500 and went 7-6. and six. Not like Ohio State that went to the undefeated, uh, uh, only lost one game in our two games in three years. We, just, we, we barely won two games in three years. But anyway, <laughs> it's been tough. We were 7-6 and six last year, and we were pumped. <laughs> at least we won some games. But, so... I'm saying, I want to win, but i got to get in the race. You don't win unless you get in the race. Lay aside the weights. Now, let me give you these three motivating factors, and we'll go home about two hours from now. <laughs> Look at chapter one, uh, 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Wherefore means there was something there before, right? And what was before? Chapter 11. And what was that chapter 11? It was this hall of fame of faith. A, a hall of fame, of faith, of great men and great women. Now, I don't know what you believe, and I'm not going to get in a theological discussion with you tonight about it, but I believe this, that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. And because we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, we'll lay aside every weight and every sin which told you to and run with patience the race is set before us. I believe here's a, one motivating factor. I believe we ought to lay aside every weight because of the cloud of saints up there in heaven. I think, to a certain degree, they can see us. I don't know to what degree. But I know this. 
I know that in the book of, in, in, the, in, in the Gospels, that when the man went and got, uh, found his sheep, he came back. And he brought the sheep with him, and he brought his friends, and they rejoiced. And the Bible says there was rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, more than over 99 at just that needed no repentance. And then, when the lady lost her coin and found it, I think it's in this, this is, this is the, uh, uh, the way it goes. It says there was rejoicing in heaven over a sinner, rejoicing among the angels. So, I don't know exactly everything that means. But when I tie that with this, I believe that there's a possibility people can actually see some of the stuff going on. And because of that, he says, Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. A witness is the person who tells what he heard and seen. That's a witness. He has to see it before he can tell what he saw. And he says, we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. That means they are seeing I'll tell you what will motivate you. You better realize that if nothing else, Jesus Christ is watching. And I believe, and I won't get into theological, and if I'm wrong, then I'll, I'll get right later on about it. But for right now, I'm not going to discuss it other than say this. I believe folks can see what's going on to a certain degree. I don't know to what degree. And if that's true, I don't want to let them down, do you? There's a great cloud. Watching what's going on. That means my daddy's watching. That means my mama's watching. That means one of my babies is watching. That means my friends are watching. That means folks I've won to Christ that's already died are watching. The truth is, I think they're up there. And by the way, this whole thing came from... The fact that they had the race they're talking about is that race that they had that the Romans in the Roman uh, Colosseum, where all the fans were up, up all the witness, all the, this cloud of, of fans up here, and they were looking down on the floor of that Colosseum as the as the race would take place down on the bottom floor. They were all up there cheering on the runners, and that's the context of this scripture. And if that's the context of this scripture, then obviously they're watching us as we run our race. And that great cloud of witnesses is Paul. And that great cloud of witnesses is Silas. And that great cloud of witnesses is John. And that great cloud of witnesses is Mark. And that great cloud of witnesses is David. And that great cloud of witnesses is, is, uh, is Samuel. And that great cloud of witnesses is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that great cloud of witnesses are all those who've died before us who were born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And they're in heaven watching. And that means my daddy the verse saying, Come on, Ricky. Keep it running. Don't give up. Boy, when you find out what this place is like, you'll want to keep running. I believe mama's up there. Any mama's proud of her son when he does, right? And I believe when I do right, I think mama's up there going, Come on, Rick. Because that's what she called me, Rick. My name. Rick. Come on, do it, Rick. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get out. Don't give out. Don't get weary and well-doing. Keep on keeping on. Stay in the race. Stay in the race. Stay in the race. There's some of you about to quit the race. And you've contemplated it. In God's dear name, get back in the race and get busy. Why? Because there's folks depending on us. Why? They're not coming down here and doing it. God chose not to. 
Look, God left us here to do the work. He said, he said, I'm a, Jesus said, I must work the work of him sitting while his day. For the night cometh when no man can work. And then he said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, so that you can do more work than I did. Greater works than I do. Shall you do? Because I go unto my Father. Folks, that Jesus is sitting in the right hand of the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell, live inside of us and we got all that cloud of witnesses up there and God's their name. Let's not quit. Let's not slow down. Let's not slow down. Let's pick the pace up. Somebody said, look, Brother Moon, after you had that heart attack, you got to slow down. Well, look, brother, what better way to die than just die preaching the Word? I had people say, I'm worried about you up there. I was afraid you're going to have a heart attack. I'm not having a heart attack up here. If I do, this thing kicks in. I'm running and grabbing Brad so that when it shocks, we both get it. Boom! And don't worry, if it kicks in, you'll know it kicked in, and I will too. And so will Brad if he's here right beside me. Because it'll knock the fool out of both of us. It'll shock some sense into him and shock my heart back there in the rhythm or whatever. Hopefully. But look, I'm not going to sit around and be a little couch potato all my life while people die and go to hell all around me. Go ahead if you want to. But there's a great cloud of witnesses up there pulling for me. There's a great cloud of witnesses up there saying, come on, Ricky, come on. Don't quit. Don't quit. Come on, come on. Stay in the race. Stay in the race. Hey, hey. Woo! Stay in the race. Stay in the race. I'm staying in the race. I've contemplated those giants of faith are pulling for you. Those going on of our family are pulling for you. Those going on of our friends are pulling for you. Those we won the Christ that are only in heaven are pulling for you. Oh, great, I got to hurry. That great cloud of witnesses. Number two, second motivating factor to help you stay in the race. By the way, you got to get in the race before you can stay in it. Looking unto Jesus. Well, come on. The author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set for him endured the cross despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Number two, the cross of the Savior. Consider the endurance of the cross. Just, he said, he endured. Consider the endurance. Can you see him and say, lead him out? Spit all over myself. Can you see him and say, lead him out? They take his robe off. And they tie him. Stretch that skin out. They take that cat of nine tails. And it happened about long in today. Well, some people think it happened Friday, but I can't get three days and three nights in a tomb from Friday. So whether you think it was Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, I think it was Wednesday. That's just me personally. I won't argue with you for two seconds over it. So we're not going to argue. All right? But anyway, whichever day. See him stretching that skin tight. Those professional guys who did this for a living professionally. You see him take that whip. Yank it back. And it just fillets the flesh. And blood just goes everywhere. And they do it again. Fillets the flesh. Fillets the flesh. Prior to that, you see them when they've got him blindfolded. And they're mocking him. And then they start beating him in the face. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that his countenance was such that he didn't even, you couldn't even tell he was a man. And then they spit on one of the most, one of the most degrading things 
is to hark up and spit on somebody. And they spit on him. I'm talking about the king of the universe. I'm talking about God in the flesh was spit on. He was beaten. He was mocked. He could have, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died along for you and me. Can you see him? And you want to get out of the race because somebody called you a name? You want to get out of the race because it's weary and you're weary and well-doing and those little bus kids won't do what you say anyway. Why do we keep bringing them in? They just tear up everything and mess up everything. Why do we spend all the money on buses? We could be spending that on something better. I'll tell you why. Because there's a hell that's hot and a heaven that's high. Amen. And brother, God still says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. The Bible also says, go out and compel them to come in. Brother, compel them to come in. In the highways and hedges. And that's what these bus workers is going to do Saturday. They're going to go out and compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. Compel them to come in to know Christ. Well, you're bribing them. I don't care what you call it. Not people bribe you to do stuff all the time. You just don't realize it. You're not smart enough to pick up that they're doing it to you. That's why you buy half the products you buy because they bribed you into it. Get a coupon in the mail. Buy this food. Now buy one, get one free. That's bribing you to come in and buy their stuff. But we don't look at it that way, do we? Except the difference, you're just going to get food and eat it you shouldn't be eating anyway. It's going to give you cancer. Or it's going to uh, get clogged up in your vessels. And you're going to have a heart attack from the, from the, uh, from the fat and stuff in it or, or whatever. Give you a heart, heart, heartburn or something or make you sick. But yet when we bring them in, we're going to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to get saved and born again and on their way to heaven when they die. As Brother William said, consider the enduring of the suffering of the Savior in the past. Oh, my. What he must have gone through. Can you imagine the mental anguish he went through? The mental anguish. Oh, my soul. I can't even imagine we do the Lord's Supper. I help do the Lord's Supper. Me and Brother Dave do the passing out to the deacons, and then they go out and they come back. And while they're going to pass it out, I bow my head. And I used to, when I didn't do that, I bowed it in my seat. But I bow my head, and I think about the body that was broken. I think about as they took and smote him in the face, plucked his beard out. By the way, Brother Keith, where you at? Where's Brother Keith? He's out smoking, too. He doesn't even have a pipe. Anyway, I don't see him. Oh, there he is. Okay. They're playing video games back there, and we're having church. No wonder we can't have a revival. <laughs> I'm teasing. All right. But anyway, I was going to say, Brother Keith, they plucked his beard out. you got to have one before you can pluck it out, I guess. Amen? Just threw that in extra. Anyway, but plucked his beard out. Drove that cat of nine tails in his, on his skull, and you know how head wounds bleed. Imagine the blood running, dripping down. Can you see the blood dripping off? You know, they smote him like that. He's, probably his teeth were not loose, maybe. His lips were all cut. The teeth going into the lips. His eyes, there was probably cuts above his eyes and around his eyes. They were swollen, almost shut. And as they pang, pounded that, that flesh into the bones, and, and it just blood everywhere, just a bloody mess. And they beat him with that cat of nine tails until his back was filleted like filleting a fish. 
And then they took him and laid, put him on that cross and put the nails in the hands and the feet in excruciating pain as they nailed him, pounded those nails in. And then as that cross went down that hole and pulled every bone out of joint. Wow. Suffering. I'll tell you why you'll stay in the race. That's why. After all Amen. Jesus did for you, you owe it to him. If no one else, you owe it to him. You don't owe it to me. You don't owe it to preacher. You owe it to him, to Lord Jesus Christ. And then as he hung there and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Eli, Eli. And then he finished, I forget how it goes. The rest of it goes, well, I'm the sacrament. I said it wrong, but anyway. My God, my God, why hast thou forgot, forsaken me? God, for the first time, turned his back on the Son. That may have been the worst part. Amen. The fellowship of the Father and the Son was broken for the first time in all eternity. Why? Because he became our propitiation for our sin, our satisfaction. That's why you don't work your way to heaven. Because of what it cost Jesus. And that one act assured me I'm an eternal home in heaven. Amen. And I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, forgive me, save me, and give me eternal life. I got born again. I got saved. I got saved from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. As old Joe Hughes used to say, I'm so saved, it's pitiful. And the truth is, I'm saved, saved, saved. My sins are all forgiven. Christ is mine. I'm on my way to heaven. Once a guilty sinner, lost undone. Now a child of God saved through his son. Saved, saved, saved. That's why, that's why, that's why you ought to stay in the race. You're weary. I know you get weary. We all get weary. But don't let that weariness of the mind cause you to think the thoughts that you get weary and your actions turns into you quit on God. By the way, that's why you ought to forgive people for their sin and their, what they've done wrong to you and hurt you. I talked about last night. That's why. I didn't talk about it much last night. But the Bible says forgive them even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You dirty sinner. You heathen. You reprobate that nailed your sins nailed him to the cross. Your sins nailed those nails in. Your sins beat him on the back. Your sins beat him in the face. Your sins drove it down on his face, on his head. Your sins beat his face up until it was a bloody pulp. And for you to have the audacity to say, well, I'm quitting because I'm tired of God not taking care of me. God in heaven help us. What are we thinking? Why should I stay in the race? I'll tell you why. Because there's a cloud of saints that are going, come on, brother, you can do it. You can do it. Yes, you can. Do it. Stay. Don't quit. And then the cross. Oh, at the old rugged cross. The cross. The endurance of the cross. But I like this, too. Sometimes we don't read this part. Look at that verse number Two again. Look into Jesus, author and finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despite the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only should I do it because of the, consider the Christ, his endurance of suffering, but his exaltation to the right hand of the throne of God Almighty. I tell you what else. There's an Almighty Jesus up there in heaven who is pulling for you to make it, number one, in that great cloud of witnesses, but he's also at the right hand of the Father. Praying as a high priest, as a high priest, praying for you 
that you'll make it in asking God to help you. I don't know if you believe that or not, but it's the truth. God sits at the right hand of the throne right now and it's an intercessor for us. As a high priest interceding, as a high priest, he took his own blood and he put shed, uh, spread, uh, uh, sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat. And God Almighty said, satisfied, 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 satisfied. See, don't blood of goats and bulls. And Hebrews said, don't satisfy God. They were on the pictorial. But when the blood of Christ came, God said, I am satisfied. That's why he's my propitiation. And not for mine, but for the sins of the whole world. I just think I'm going to quit. Well, you're going to disappoint the great cloud of witnesses. They're pulling for you. The Savior's pulling for you. He's at the right hand making intercession. No more in the cloud of saints. Number two, second motivating factor ought to be the cross of the Savior. Number three, the chastisement of the saved. You can go ahead and quit if you want to. You can go ahead and live any way you want to. But let me remind you that these verses are still in the Word of God. You have not resisted in the blood striving against sin, verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation of speaking to his son, my son, despise thou not the, the chastening of the Lord. And watch this. Nor faint, nor faint when not rebuke to him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you're born again, blood-washed child of the king, if you are saved and going to live like the devil, you will be chastened, uh, guaranteed. Well, let me read on and you'll understand it even better. If you endure chastening, God deals you with sons. For what son is he whom the father hath not chastened? Rhetorical question. The answer is none. All sons get chastened. Next verse. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you know what? You're not even a legitimate son. You're an illegitimate son. You're not the real McCoy. And I didn't read the verse the way it's written, and you understand why. You're not a legitimate son. You're illegitimate. In other words, you ain't his. You're not his. People say to me, Yeah, brother, you believe those people can get saved? And just go out and leave anywhere you want to. I just don't think I can do that. First of all, I don't care what you think. But number two, I should, but I don't. But number two, they ain't going to go out and live anywhere they want to for a child of the king. Either that or you're going to take Hebrews chapter 12 out of the book. Because if they're his, he's going he to put some lashes on them. I talked about my dad last night whipping me. That's because he was my dad. Nobody else's dad whipped me like that except the principal of school. Not exactly like that, but he did whip me. All right? More than once. We were just like that. I was always kneeled down and he was whipping. <laughs> I knew everything about his office, where everything's set. You've been in as many times as I have, you learn a few things. You hear me and hear me well. You a son, you're going to get whooped. I'm sorry, it's a southern term. Are you, Mama, Dad's going to take you out to the woodshed and whoop you, boy. And he would take you out and whoop you. I'm going to tell you what, God's going to take you out behind the woodshed and whoop you, boy and girl, if you're his child. If you never get a whooping, you can live like any way you want to. You ain't his child. He don't whoop him and ain't his child. He just whoop him and his child. I don't whoop other people's children. I whoop my children. Well, I don't anymore. Too big, they'd whoop me. But I'm talking about 
I used to whoop my own kids. I didn't go, I didn't go to the yard and say, hey, son, come here. I'm whooping you. <laughs> I ain't laying my hands on that boy. I'll lay mine on mine. What's the reason for chastisement? Look what he says, verse 9. Wherefore, uh, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which correct us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? You know what the opposite of live is? What's the opposite of live? What is it? What's the opposite of live? So he said, we're in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. Okay, if I'm not in subjection to the Father of spirits, then what's going to happen? I'm going to die. Brother, if you don't get right, he's going to whoop you. If you keep not getting right, and he keeps whooping you one day, he's going to say, enough's enough, son. Won't nobody come on home. And he's going to take you home. I'm talking about heaven home. Let me go on. For they verily for a few days chasing us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. And no chastening of the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. Let me tell you the reasons. God does it for our perfecting as we grow up to prepare us as the Son, to prove that we're saved, and to help us submit so we can live. For our perfecting, our maturing, He chastens us. But all that, He does it for our profit, that we can be partakers of His holiness and partakers of the peaceable fruit of righteousness. He does it for us. He does it for us. He does it for us. I'll tell you why you ought to stay in the race. Number one, there's a great cloud of witnesses. Number two, the cross of our Savior. Number three, the chastisement of the, of, of the saved. You better do it. That, that'll keep you going. Cause of Christ. Cause of the cloud. And the cause of the chastisement. That's why I don't quit. Right there. You just saw why I don't quit. I've wanted to. I've gotten discouraged. And, and I don't get discouraged very often. I, I'm the fact guy. I just don't get discouraged very often. But there's been a few times when I got discouraged. In fact, the seat of my pants was dragging my tracks out. I was so discouraged. But I tell you what gets me encouraged when I come back to this. I'll tell you something else that encourages you. Some of you are discouraged. Go out and get somebody saved. That'll encourage you. When I had a heart attack, yeah, I was in the hospital, and I'd been there for a week, and I got double pneumonia on top of having a heart attack. And for some of you who don't know, I was shocked 18 times to bring me back. You say, but they don't do that. I know they don't, but they did. Okay, so whatever that means, that's what it is. And I'm not blowing smoke and whistling Dixie. It's actually the truth, right? Here's what happened. I'm in the hospital. I started coming down. With, when I was in the other place, after that, I was so severe, they couldn't, they I started the camp. They took me to a small hospital in Corden, Indiana, and then they transferred me to, to Louisville. But they couldn't stat flight me to Louisville because I was too critical to even stat flight. They was afraid I'd die on the way. So they had to get me stabilized before they could transfer me. And while they were trying to stabilize me, I got sick with a tube down my throat, with tied down on my back. I got sick and started throwing up. When I threw up, I inhaled some of it and went down in my lungs. As a result of that, I got, uh, got food-induced double pneumonia on both lungs, which can kill you if you're not careful, besides the heart attack. And it drained me. It drained me. I mean, physically, I was gone, man. And I had a lot of people come to see me, and I tried to be, you know, kind of that. But, man, I was so sick. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was so sweating so bad. I was such a fever and sweating that they had to literally change my clothes and change the bed sheets. They were soaking wet. 
and they changed him, and then I realized I had pneumonia. Well, then they was going to put this in, but they couldn't. So on Monday, they had me in a private room, which was pretty good because my family could stay with me and so forth. But at that time, that hospital, they didn't have many private rooms. It was the, because it's oh, 10 years ago, they had the, um, you had double room, you know, with double people in it, two people in it. And uh, so they took me down and did a, did a, went in and they put my heart under pressure, put it back into heart attack and shocked it two times to talk it back out to see if I needed this right here, equipment. When they did that, they brought me back out and then they put me in a room with another person. And that discouraged me because my family couldn't stay. I couldn't spend time with them. I was sick. I was, I was emotionally distraught. I was drained because I'll never forget. I was, when I was in intensive care prior to that, when I first was in, I was in intensive care, and after they, I kind of came to the next day and kind of got going. They finally took that tube out of my throat, and I said to Sheila, uh, I didn't even realize all that happened, she told me, and I was in denial, it didn't really happen, yes it did. And then the preacher came up there and I said to Sheila, before, after he left, I said, what am I going to do? And she said, what? I said, what am I going to do? You just told me, they said, I've got to change my lifestyle. I said, I don't do the wicked stuff. So I'm not changing that. She said, they're not talking about that. They're talking about your activities. I said, Sheila, all, I, I've been trained to do one thing, and that's to preach and to work in the ministry. I don't have any other tools. I do a little things around my house and do a little, but I'm not like Rick, like you, you have a business or a profession. I don't have it. I can't do that. And I couldn't anyway. It's too much. It's, too, it's labor. They said, you can't do any, any manual labor. No manual labor. I said, okay, if I can't do manual labor and I can't preach, I, I, I'm not good on the computer. What am I going to do? I got discouraged. I mean, I got discouraged. I mean, I got discouraged. And on a Tuesday night, Jewish hospital in the ER, Sheila and them, they would only let me come in a certain time. And I'm in there all by myself. The nurses have left me, and I'm laying there, and I'm on all kind of equipment. And I said, dear God, I don't understand. I don't quite understand. This is my life. I don't want to quit doing what I've been doing all my life. Please, what's the matter? If it's wickedness in my heart, show it to me on your life. But how am I going to live? How, I, I, got, I got three kids still at home. I, I, got, I got a wife and three kids and I got to support. How am I going to support them? Whether I should have done it or not, I was advised years ago to get out of Social Security. I have no... I get a little bit when I retire Social Security. But I have no disability. If I'm disabled, I get nothing. And I said, Lord, this means I'm disabled. And I get nothing. What do I do? What do I do? Please, God. I'm really, really at the bottom of the barrel. In fact, I'm slow. I can't even touch the bottom if I reach up. You've got to help me, please. Do something. God reminded me that night, Ricky, and I didn't see Jesus, okay? But in my heart, it's like Jesus said, Ricky, I took care of you all these years. You think I'm going to leave you now? I said, no, I don't think so, Lord. I think you're pretty good. And can I say, 10 years later, he's pretty good. Amen. Next day, they 
They took me out and put me in a room, and I was still a little discouraged, but I was better. And then when they went in and did this to put this in, but they couldn't put it in because of pneumonia. I came back. Number one, they didn't put it in. Number two, I had to be in with someone else. And I was discouraged. And Sheila was bought worried about me. She left that night. I got discouraged again. I prayed again. Dear God, you know, I'm discouraged again. I'm sorry, but I'm discouraged again. And the Lord reminded me, I'll take care of you. And then the thought hit me. See that guy sitting over there laying in that other bed? He may not even be saved. He pulled the cover, the thing was pulled back, and he was right there, and I could see him. And I said, how you doing, man? He said, all right, he's an older gentleman. And uh, we got to talking. About 20, 30 minutes later, he bowed his head and asked Jesus to save him. After he got saved, a few hours after he got saved, he went to sleep. He didn't die, but he was never the same. They took him, and they finally took him out of the room. He just slept the whole time, non-responsive. If I had not have been put in that room, Rick, at that time, he would have not gotten saved. And I thought about that, and all that discouragement was gone. <laughs> Some of you just go out and get somebody saved. It might take care of discouragement. Excuse me. I want to quit. Yeah, I've wanted to quit. I've wanted to quit. But I'm going to tell you something. There's folks up there pulling for me. My daddy's saying, Rick, you can do it. Mama's saying, come on, Rick. Rick, Rick. Because I know she's doing it just like you used to. Rick, if I don't answer, maybe. Rick, Rick. I don't even have time to answer you. She said Rick four times. Rick, 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 Rick. What? <laughs> don't quit. Don't quit. I read a story, and some of you remember this, several years ago. I actually, I saw it when it happened. But the 1992 Olympics, there was a guy named Derek Redmond who was a 400-meter runner from Great Britain. He had been in the 88 Olympics in about, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes before the race. He had an Achilles tendon injury and had to pull out and had five surgeries over the next few years. So he'd come down to Barcelona in 92. And unlike Carl Lewis and Daly Thompson, he... He didn't win a bunch of gold medals like I did. But he did something that lives on for all, a long time. And this is what happened. And I want to share part of it with you. He arrived at the games, and his dad accompanied him there. They were real close. And he went to all his competitions, but they were close, about as close as a father and son could be, inseparable, actually, and best of friends. And when Derek ran, it was his father who was running right next to him in his heart. So the day of the race arrives, and the father and son reminisce about what it took for Derek to get to this point. They talked about all the, ignoring all the past heartbreaks and the past failures. And they agreed that if anything bad happens, no matter what it is, Derek has to finish the race, period. You just got to finish the race, Derek. And he says, yes, you're right. Now, the top four finisher in each of the two semifinals, he, semifinals qualifying heats, would move on to the, to, the, to the race for the gold medal. And by the way, at that day, he just wanted he just wanted to finish. It really didn't matter to him what, if it was a, uh, if he won. He just wanted to finish the race, but he also wanted to win a medal. It didn't matter if it was gold or silver, just bronze, just to, just to win one after all he'd been through. So he gets in there, and his dad's up at the very top next to the Olympic torch had been lit a few days earlier. The stadium's packed with 6,500 fans there. I'm sorry, 65,000 fans there. 
And this had become one of the most exciting, in those days, spectacles of all of them because they had people like Carl Lewis running the 400. And it was, it was, it was a big, it was, the, it was like the, the race. The 100 meter and the 400 meter, they were the race. So he got his qualifying time. And uh, the race begins. He breaks out of the pack quickly and seizes the lead. His dad's up there saying, come on, son, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. He goes down the back. He, he goes down the back stretch. And about 175 meters from the finish line, he's a shoe-in to make the finals because the top four makes it to the finals. And he's way out in front of everybody. Something happens. He hears a pop. And he said it's as if he'd been shot. His right hamstring popped. And he hit the ground. And his dad says, oh, no. And he's there. He's pale. His legs quivering. Uh, and Redmond begins hopping. He begins trying to uh, uh, get up and hop on one leg uh, and so forth. And, and, they, and then he slows down and falls to the track. And, and the, some of the medical attendants, by this time, all the runners go by him. And the medical personnel runs out, tries to get him up. Jim, his dad's up in the top. He starts running down. He doesn't have a pass to get on the, on the track, uh, inside the, on the bottom of the, on the track area. But he runs down anyway, bumping into people, sliding by them. I've got to get down there. I've got to get down there. And he, he suddenly says, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be stopped by anybody. I've got to get there. I've got to get there. On the track, Derek's dream of Olympic gold is gone. Tears are running down his face. He said, all I could think was, I'm out of the Olympics again. As the medical crew, crew did arrive with a stretcher, Redmond said, nope, there's no way I'm getting on that stretcher. I'm going to finish my race. And he crawled up and got back on one leg. And with millions watching on TV, and I was watching that night, Redmond lifted himself to his feet ever so slowly and started hobbling down the track. The other runners had already finished. Steve Lewis, the United States, had, had won, won the contest in 44.50 seconds. And suddenly everyone realized that Redmond, Derek Redmond, it wasn't dropping out of the race by hobbling over to the side of the track. No, he was actually continuing on one leg. He's going to attempt to hobble his way to the finish line all by himself, all in the name of pride and heart. So did the crowd. And total disbelief rises and begins to roar. The roar got louder and louder. Hear me now. Though the, through the searing pain, Redmond heard the cheers, but he says, I wasn't doing it for the crowd. I was doing it for me. I was doing it because I wasn't trying to be an idiot or a hero. I just was going to finish the race because I got to live with this the rest of my life. One painful step at a time, each one a little slower and more painful than the other before. His face twisted with pain and tears. Redmond limped onward, and the crowd, many in tears, cheered him on. Suddenly, Jim Redmond, the dad, got to the bottom of the stands and leaped over the railing, avoiding a security guard, and ran out to his son. Two security guards were chasing after him, and he said, that's my son out there. He yelled back to you, and I'm going to help him. And in one of the most unusual things, any of you remember seeing this? Most unusual thing, the dad ran on the track. And placed his arms around his son. Around his waist. And he said, I'm here, son. Hugged his boy and said, we'll finish together. Derek put his arm around his father's shoulder and sobbed. 
together arm in arm, father and son, with 65,000 people cheering, clapping, crying, they went to finish the race. Just as they bowed, they would. A couple of steps from the finish line, I remember it. The crowd was in absolute frenzy. Jim released his son, Derek, and Derek hopped across the finish line on his own. Then he threw his arms around Derek again, both crying along with everyone in the stands and on TV. And he said, I'm the proudest father alive. I'm proud of him than I would have been if he had won the gold medal. You know what he did? He finished the race. Some of you, you popped a tendon, didn't you? And you hit the ground. And you're saying, but Brother Moon, it hurts, and I'm just, I can't make it. But can I tell you something? God said, I'll send the Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your paraclete. You know what that means? Come here, Brad. Stand right over here. Lay down on the ground. Fall down on the ground, but don't, don't mess up your pants or anything. We, he, Brad's running, and he falls down. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, come on, son. Let me help you. Get back up. Get back up. Come on. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. I know you get tired. I know you get weary. I know you want to quit sometimes. But if you'll let that Holy Spirit like he did to me in that hospital room, the Holy Spirit will show up. Jesus will show up. And he'll give you the peace that passes all understanding. And he'll pick you up. And that Holy Spirit will brush you off. And he'll say, you can do it, son. 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 And up in heaven they're saying, you can do it. You can. Come on. Don't quit. Stay in the race. Stay in the race. And the Holy Spirit says, come on. We'll finish the race together. We'll finish the race together. And Jesus says, hey, Father, look at him. Give him strength. Hey, Father, look at him. Give him. Hey, look at him. Give him strength. Give him strength. Give him strength. Give him strength. Stay in the race. You want to quit? Yeah. Sometimes I do. God gave us in this passage. He said, you're in a race. Stay in that race. And he gave us some motivating factors to keep us in the race. But you're going to have to think about them and read them and study them and hang on to them. Hang on to them like they're gold, like they're precious gold or precious, a precious ointment or something, something precious. Don't let go of them. Don't let go. Stay in the race. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.